what's happening a good thursday to all of you thanks for joining me as always it is much appreciated and sometimes you have a plan in this business and that plan it gets scrapped you have to throw it in the garbage and start all over again and that's what happened this morning i had a plan about talking about a possible complete reset at gillette stadium until we saw this story from andrew callahan and doug kide at the boston herald and look the patriots are four and twelve they might finish the season at 4-13. and 13. They're looking at a top five pick or so. I was just waiting for a significant report on how bad it's been behind closed doors. And today, with this Herald story, we got exactly what I had been waiting for. This is what happens with a losing organization. This is what happens when you're playing for nothing by late October, early November. These reports come out. The leaks happen. People talk. So let's get to it. Here's what Callahan and Kide wrote. To unpack the failure of the season, the Herald interviewed more than a dozen team sources who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of retribution from the Patriots. Nobody should be surprised that these were anonymous sources. A locker room source said, quote, this was messed up from the beginning. Nothing like I expected, another said. Not at all. Unquote. Callahan, Kide write, a year ago, such disaster caused Kraft to push for a coaching change, which led to the rehiring of Bill O'Brien. Belichick, according to sources, preferred to keep Patricia, as in Matt, and grow together. Instead, Belichick relented and O'Brien returned. I discussed this a few podcasts ago, the idea that Bill Belichick was fine with Matt Patricia. He was fine with what Patricia and Judge did last year. He wanted those guys to return, especially Matty P., he believed that Matty P would be able to turn that offense around and make it much better. And I just want you to truly absorb that. Let's not focus on what happened with O'Brien this year because we'll get into that. There's a lot with this story involving O'Brien. But when you look at just the singular decision that Belichick wanted to keep Matt Patricia, who ran one of the worst offenses that we had seen in decades Belichick wanted to stand by Patricia and Judge and run that back. Ask yourself, at any moment, did you want to run that back? Did you look at Patricia and Judge and say, that is a winning mix? We need to bring those guys back. We need to continue to develop those play callers. Did anybody think that watching that team last season? Somebody did. His name was Bill Belichick. And Kraft forced Belichick's hand to change the offensive coordinator, which is why Bill O'Brien is here. It was Kraft's call to hire O'Brien. Continuing with the story, the Belichick speculation overlooked another question that spoke directly to the offense and driving force behind this downfall. How did this happen again? Ah, yes. How did this happen again? Feels like we've been asking this question all season long. How could the offense be so bad last year, but yet again, here we are this year with some of the same awfulness that we had to witness a year ago? According to Callahan and Kide, their league sources told them that some assistants came to believe that O'Brien wanted to clean house and build his own offensive staff, but Belichick denied him. Belichick allowed one hire. So O'Brien gets the job in January. He gets hired. O'Brien wants to come in and turn over the staff. He looks at the staff and says, this offense stunk last year. Let's strip it all down. I want my guys in here so I can work with the guys that I know that I trust. 
So the communication is good. The coaching is good. And we're all on the same page. And Belichick looked at O'Brien and said, no. Belichick said, I'll give you one hire. You get one guy. You don't get the offensive line coach. You don't get the wide receiver coaches. You don't get any of that. You get one guy. You don't even get the quarterbacks coach. You get one guy. So already, Belichick is setting a line in front of O'Brien. This is where it is. I am running this operation. You're here as offensive coordinator because Robert Kraft made you the offensive coordinator. And I am not going to allow you to change the staff. I will give you one guy to hire. You get one right-hand man. Can you imagine that? So Belichick allowed one hire, which was Will Long, who replaced ex-tight ends coach Nick Cayley. To onlookers, according to Callahan and Kide, a clear hierarchy developed with O'Brien and his assistants. There was Long and assistant quarterbacks coach Evan Rothstein, then everyone else. A team source said, quote, the staff dynamic is completely bleeped. <laughs> completely bleeped. Belichick lost on the OC fight. That's what happened. Belichick wanted to keep Matt Patricia. Robert Kraft shot that down, said the offense sucked. We need to make a change. Belichick allowed that change to happen, which was, of course, O'Brien. Belichick then said to himself and to Belichick and to O'Brien, we're not going to change anything else. You're going to get one guy. Belichick was not going to cease any more power. He lost the offensive coordinator battle. He was not going to lose any more battles. He was going to stand by his men. And that's what happened. Belichick was not going to allow anybody else in the building to dictate what the staff was going to look like. Not even his offensive coordinator, who should be the head coach of the offense. MJ Witty, this story was incredible. If Kraft doesn't clean house, fans should revolt. Smart Name jumps in and says, the timing of this article surely prepares the fan base for Monday being the end of Bill. You could say that. We'll have our big takeaways later on as we go through this story. John Christian says, all of this makes sense on why it took so long to bench Mac. Belichick probably wanted to bench him sooner. O'Brien wanted him to keep playing. I think O'Brien really wants Mac to be QB1. Just my thoughts. John, we'll get to the quarterback stuff in a little while because there's a lot of quarterback stuff in this article as well. The Charm City player Brandon jumps in. Hearing about O'Brien wasn't able to hire his own offensive staff makes you wonder how things would have been different if Mac had Bill O'Brien's offensive people around him. Yes. What would have changed? Don't forget, by the way, as we continue with this story from the Herald, Andrew Callahan, Doug Kide, great work on the behind-the-scenes chaos at Gillette Stadium this year in that facility. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up. Every thumbs up means an awful lot. If you're watching on Facebook, give us the like. If you're watching on YouTube, take a second of your day. just takes a second of your day to click that thumbs up button to help us subscribe and comment as well. That's how we, we are going to continue with this program and how we can survive. Patrick jumps in and says, Nick, this article shed light on it. It's worse than even I thought. Belichick is 100% gone. All right, so let's get back to the story. Again, the last we left you, Belichick allowed Bill O'Brien in as his offensive coordinator. 
because Robert Kraft made him do it. O'Brien wanted to change the offensive staff, which makes sense, right? Hey, I'm going to be the offensive coordinator. I want my guys working with me. I want my staff. I want to be able to shop for the groceries on this side of the football. I want people I can trust. Makes sense, right? Belichick shot that down, said you get one guy. Because Belichick was not going to relent anymore. He was not going to cease any more power. He was not going to sit back and say, okay, I let Kraft pick the OC. Now I'm going to let the OC pick the entire staff on the offensive side and get rid of my guys. That's where we left you. And a team source saying the staff dynamic on the offensive side is completely effed. (laughs) So what happens after that? So O'Brien doesn't get the staff that he wants. What do you think happens after that? Do you think O'Brien trusted his staff? Do you think O'Brien believed in his staff? Back to Callahan and Kide. O'Brien also pulled the offense closer to him, running more unit meetings, which involved all offensive players than Belichick and Patricia had. Consequently, positional meetings became scarce, which limited individual time shared between players and their position coaches. Most everything flowed through O'Brien. So I want you to picture this. The head coach doesn't really want the OC. The owner makes the head coach take the OC. The OC wants his own staff. The coach will not allow that to happen because he did not even want the OC in-house to begin with. So now you have an OC who doesn't have his own staff, which means he doesn't trust many people in that room. He doesn't believe in many people in that room. So he starts to have these offensive unit meetings because he wants to disseminate the message to the offense, believing he's the only one that can do that at a high enough level where the guys can pick up what he's putting down. O'Brien did not trust his staff because the staff was not his. These are things that Belichick should have seen coming from a mile away. And I believe he didn't care. He looked at this and said, make it work. Because as soon as you have an offensive coordinator with a staff that is not his, it's a bunch of guys thrown together. Anybody could have seen this not working out great. Belichick decided that this was the way he was going to go with it. Back to the story. The Herald could not confirm whether O'Brien wanted to remake the offensive staff, but O'Brien's frustration with the wide receivers and offensive line coaches began bubbling as soon as the late spring. Shocker. Okay, now let's let's put this all into perspective, okay? This story is telling us that O'Brien was already sick and tired of the offensive staff. He was already frustrated with the wide receivers and offensive line by late spring. We're talking seven months ago. Seven months ago, it started to turn bad. Seven months ago, the offense had major issues with it. And according to this story, O'Brien identified those issues and pretty much felt like he couldn't do anything about it. Because again, his offensive staff wasn't his and the personnel was the personnel. He couldn't go out and change the offensive line. He couldn't go out and change the wide receivers. So by late spring, you had an offensive coordinator who was already sick and tired. 
Unbelievable. It's unreal. German jumps in and says, hi, Nick, and all. Just look at to opportunities without Bill. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. We're, trust me, we're going to talk a lot about if Belichick is gone, who could replace Belichick? What makes sense? As a matter of fact, this morning, I'll give you guys a peek behind the scenes here at the Cattles apartment in lovely Foxborough, getting ready for maybe a huge winter storm. But who really knows how much is going to get dropped on us? This morning, I was looking at my list of prospective coaches that we talked about a month or two ago. And this morning I was looking at possible head coach slash GM marriages that could work here in New England if Belichick goes. So I am preparing for that. We are going to talk about that. But first things first, Belichick is still here. And we have a breaking news story from the Herald that shows the behind the scenes chaos that we have to discuss. The Grizz 15, Kraft sided with Mac over Bill with getting rid of Patricia. No chance Kraft lets Mac get traded. Mac is QB1. They'll give him a real team to work with. Finally, Bill ruined this organization. I don't know. Because, again, we'll get to Mac in a little bit. But uh, I, I don't know if you can draw a grand conclusion about Mac's future off of this story. Because you still have to make a gigantic decision with Mac on his fifth-year option. And I don't think anybody would be willing to pick up that fifth-year option after this year, even if you believe, like I do, that Mac wasn't given really much of a chance to improve and succeed because of what he was given. But I don't think you can make that decision. I still think they're on the road towards a new QB1. All right, back to the story. Members of the front office shared O'Brien's frustration with the lack of development as the season wore on. So now the front office is pissed. A team source said, quote, it's just a lot of bad bleep, bad coaching. And this goes back to something we talked about yesterday. Belichick's circle. Belichick unwilling to allow O'Brien to change the offensive staff aside from one guy because Belichick has his circle of trust. Belichick has his coaching family. He believes in employing guys that played for him or that he can pluck from some unknown college or right out of college. That's what he's done. We talked about it extensively yesterday. You can check out the podcast on the channel. Don't forget to give us that like. Give us a thumbs up. I appreciate every single one of you. Back to the story. Outside the front office, a few staffers privately pointed fingers back at decision makers about the talent available. That is, save for Adrian Clem. This is something else. Clem, according to Andrew Callahan and Doug Kide sources, Clem confronted Director of Player Personnel Matt Groh early in the season in a loud exchange that reverberated through the organization. Clem, according to sources, didn't feel heard while some offensive veterans did not want to believe their eyes. So let's recap quickly here so far what we've learned, okay? Belichick wanted to keep Patricia. Kraft said no, hired O'Brien. O'Brien wanted to hire his own staff. Belichick said no, you can have one guy. Part of the new staff that was hired was Adrian Clem. Clem was hired because, again, he fits the Belichick system, the Belichick culture, and he's part of the Belichick family, kind of, sort of, because he played for the Patriots. Clem looks at the personnel on this team, 
and he knows this ain't great. O'Brien's frustrated at Clem. Clem's frustrated at the personnel. So therefore, Clem is frustrated with Matt Grow. So now you have your offensive line coach who's been here for a cup of coffee getting into a screaming match with the director of player personnel. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's okay. Everything's just ducky. And this Clem Grow argument happened early in the season. Again, so late spring, your OC is like, well, we're screwed. This coaching staff stinks. The personnel stinks. Shortly after that, Adrian Clem has enough, and he's screaming at Matt Grow in, in, in an argument that reverberates throughout the organization. Patrick says this is gold. In one way, I guess so. <laughs> and look, I hope that Adrian Clem is healthy. I certainly hope that he is good. And, you know, the story of him not being healthy is the 100% truth. But when you read this story, how do you not think, at least, how do you not entertain the idea that Adrian Clem might have been able to hang around the facility in some capacity, but a health situation might have opened the door for the Patriots to say, we'll see you later, for Belichick to say, we've got to move on. How do you not at least entertain that, right? We're being told that Adrian Clem got into a screaming match with Belichick's right-hand man in the front office. And then Clem, weeks ago, vanishes, and all we hear is it's for health reasons. Again, I hope he's healthy. I hope he's okay. And it might 100% be the case that it was just health. But this story, this anecdote within the Herald today about that screaming match does open the door to the idea that Clem was allowed to walk out the door. James jumps in. Crafts are good owners. They should go get Ben Johnson. I doubt he would like to work with David Tepper. Again, I worked on a list of GMs and possible head coaches this morning, and I fully plan on getting into that list next week if Belichick is gone. You want to stay right here? We do a lot of homework on this show. I will have the list of prospective coaches for you and GMs that make sense to go along with those head coaches. You're going to get that here on the Nick Cattle Show as soon as Belichick, if when he's gone. All right, back to the story. And the fact that this was an immediate bleep show. In the season opener, a banged-up offense started late-round rookie City So and Antonio Mafia at guard and swing tackle Calvin Anderson. All three arrived that offseason because Belichick and Grow believed the best available tackles in free agency and the draft had been overrated. That's according to one source. So there's a source that says the reason why they brought in Riley Reef and Calvin Anderson and drafted a bunch of interior offensive linemen is because Belichick and Grow both believed that the tackle class sucked and that the free agency class sucked. Okay, let's say that was the truth. Okay, let's just go off of that premise. Did you not know that beforehand? Did you not know that the offensive tackle class was not going to be good? Did you not know that the free agency class was going to be overrated? Did you not know that when you were making decisions about Michael Wenu's future and Isaiah Wynn's future and Trent Brown's future? This, to me, 
this part of the story, I don't know how many people are going to pay special attention to this, but this part of the story is one of the most concerning parts of the story to me. Because it's saying that Belichick and Grow did not like the offensive tackles last year in the offseason to pick from. But here's the problem and why I think it's a big concern. It is Bill Belichick and Matt Groh's job. It is their responsibility to not only know what's going to happen this offseason, but the next offseason, the next offseason after that, and the next offseason after that. When you run a front office, you have a plan. You should have the next three to five years mapped out in free agency and the draft. You start evaluating these guys that came out in the draft last year. You start evaluating them four or five years ago. So if you knew this class was not going to be good, if you knew free agency was going to be overrated, then why did you not do anything to sufficiently address the tackle position until this last offseason when you were stuck with Trent Brown, who's been in and out of the program, gains weight, loses weight, gains weight, couldn't care less, shows up late, and you're walking into this year. With what? That is a failure to get ahead. It's their job to see that the offensive tackle position was going to be a problem two, three years down the road. They failed to get ahead of it. And that's been the case at several different positions with this football team. It is a growing problem with Belichick, the GM. It is why you had to sign John U. Smith and Hunter Henry in the same offseason. Because you failed to address the tight end position when you knew Gronk was on his way out. You drafted Asiasi and Keen, both ended up not working out, and you were stuck swimming upstream figuring out that position. That's a big problem. The failure of getting ahead personnel-wise to have a clear plan and to execute that plan in case somebody goes down, in case free agency stinks. What are you going to do? This makes it sound like Belichick and Grow woke up and said, ah, damn, free agency sucks. Draft sucks. I guess we'll sign washed-ass Riley Reef." That's a problem. Hit that like button. I appreciate you. Here's what a third source said to uh, Callahan and Kide. We did not invest in the offensive line until the fourth round. Didn't take a receiver until the sixth. How do we spend the first three picks on defense when tackle was the biggest problem on the team last year? And this shines a light on Belichick's offensive versus defensive approach. When you look at the free agents that are going to be hitting the market this offseason from the Patriots roster, you have 12, 12 Patriots offensive players that are going to be free agents. Out of those 12 offensive players set for free agency, there's every tight end, there's your wide receiver one, there's your running back two, there's your left tackle, and there's your best offensive lineman. Five critical positions on this offense set to hit free agency. Do you know how many defensive players are set to hit free agency? Of consequence, seven. You've got Duggar and Uche, and then you've got everyone else who's easily replaceable. So. You have critical positions within the offense that are walking into free agency with no clear backup plan. You don't have a plan for tackle. You don't have a plan for tight end. You're thin at running back. 
You don't have a plan for wide receiver one. You've allowed that to happen. But on defense, you only have two guys of consequence that are going into free agency, and that's Duggar and Uche. Uche is a rotational guy that you play 25% of the time at most. And Duggar is a guy that you've miscast playing deep safety this year. Do you see the difference? That's Belichick, the GM, playing out in real time. You're losing critical people on offense with no backup plan. Defensively, you feel pretty good. And that goes in hand-in-hand with what happened last year at the draft. Back to the story. Let's talk about the quarterbacks. Teammates recognized Max' confidence was shot when panic became a habit. He would audible to a new play but declined to throw to the play's intended target. The locker room's confidence in Jones waned significantly after a 34-0 home loss to New Orleans on October 8th. I remember that day because that's the day I paid $500 to watch that terrible game. Around that time, the staff began deliberating a quarterback change, but Zappi, whom Belichick had cut six weeks earlier, undercut his own candidacy by going 7 of 18 for 69 yards and mop-up duty. Newly signed backup Will Greer was never a serious consideration per sources, despite being told he could compete for playing time. That left Jones all alone in a quarterback's room that sources familiar with the room paint as quiet and uncomfortable. Wowzer. Just think about it. Your OC's unhappy. Your offensive line coach is unhappy. Staff's not good. Personnel's not great. Quarterback lost confidence. Quarterback room is kind of a mess. O-line coach screaming at Matt Groh. A team source said, quote, there definitely is not healthy communication in there about trying to win football games. Staff's not together. Quarterback room's not together. But everything's good. Callahan and Kide write, zooming out, some teammates believe Jones got a raw deal over his final years in New England. They cite the churn of new quarterbacks, coaches, new offensive play callers each season, saying Jones's failures really reflect a poor support system. Others disagree, citing an old Belichick saying about ball security. Quote, when you are carrying the football, you're not only carrying the football for the team and everyone in the building, but you're carrying it for everyone in the region. The fate is in your hands, unquote. Look, not all turnovers are equal. Many of the turnovers we saw from Mac were on Mac, decision-making, right? Just awful throws, inexcusable turnovers, especially starting with the Dallas game this year. But turnovers also tend to happen when you have a terrible offensive line, wide receivers that can't get open, and an offensive staff that does not get along. When you have all three of those things, the trifecta of suckness, (laughs) as I deemed it right now, when you have the trifecta of suckness, guess what? Turnovers will follow. Some of this was actually created by head coach Bill Belichick. Story continues. Mystery of Jack Jones release. It's been solved. Apparently, Jones was not happy. Not starting the Germany game. So uh, he blew up on Mike Pellegrino, cornerback's coach at halftime. So now you have a screaming match between player and coach at halftime of a game. Do we have a bingo card? Because I feel like we're, we're, we're knocking all these out the park. Belichick cut Jones a day later. Meanwhile, Clem's absence, a player became a coach, apparently. James Ferentz met individually with rookies and assisted them on the sideline during games. So that's great. How about Malik Cunningham? According to sources, some organization members told Cunningham he had made the right decision to leave New England 
One source said, quote, they just had no plan from a leak, unquote. No kidding. You're telling me that shuffling a guy between wide receiver and quarterback, then activating him as the backup quarterback in Vegas to only cut him shortly after that? You're telling me there was no plan? No way. So how about Belichick? Well, as for Belichick, sources unequivocally, wrong word, sources universally agree his personnel control and inability to assemble a functional staff continue to undermine the offense. Though they maintain Belichick has not lost his fastball as a hands-on coach, an argument they support with the team's bad injury luck and four and eight record in one score games. A tenured Patriot source, remember that, a tenured Patriot source, says the guys still respond to him. And GD, we have so many squad meetings where he shows them what's going to happen in the game, and it always bleeping happens, even down to what we can't do, and then we end up bleeping doing it. I still think Belichick is a good coach, even though I think it's time for him to be replaced. Especially when you compare him to a lot of other coaches in the league. There's just a lot of bad coaching in the NFL. But we've gone through the issues. We talked about this yesterday on the pod. His offensive approach. The fourth down decision making. The staff. The personnel. If Belichick could just focus on game planning and get away from personnel, I think we'd be having a different conversation. But there's nothing in this story that tells you Belichick would be willing to take his hands off right? He would not allow Bill O'Brien to hire his own coaching staff on the offensive side. Bill Belichick certainly does not sound like a guy that is willing to cede power in any kind of way. He does not sound like somebody who wants less on his plate, even though many would look at this story and say, yeah, brah, you need less on your plate. So to wrap it all up, the Herald writes, whether Kraft opts to keep Belichick or part ways next week, winter is coming for these Patriots. Contracts for several starters and assistant coaches will expire in the coming months. Multiple league sources do not expect do not expect Clem to return, though his deal extends past this season, as does O'Brien's. A year ago, both had been hailed as saviors for a broken offense that remains at the heart of a broken team. Who will come fix it next? So big takeaways from this story, the Herald. And y'all can comment in the comment section. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up. Obviously, when you're on the precipice of a 4-13 and or 5-12 and season, there is going to be a lot of agendas being served. And lots of agendas are being served on the sinking ship that has been the 2023 season. And you can feel it through this story. And you can just kind of visualize who is saying what and why they might be saying it. So there should be no surprise that a story like this has come out about a team that has been one of the worst in the NFL. Guys are protecting each other. Guys are protecting themselves. There's going to be finger pointing so guys can get jobs if everything gets blown up here in New England. That much is obvious. This 100% falls on Belichick. 100%, not 95, 97, not, 100% of this falls on Bill Belichick. He is the guy that runs this operation. He is responsible for the coaching staff. 
He is responsible for the personnel. He is responsible for the front office. He's responsible for strength and conditioning, for nutrition, for custodians. The guy is in charge of the building. And the fact that you had this much mistrust and infighting falls on the guy who runs the program. He is number one to blame. When you have this chaos happening, the guy who runs it deserves to blame. The operation that Bill Belichick oversees is an absolute mess. It is a debacle in many different categories. And this story shines a light on how big of a debacle this has been since before the season even kicked off. This falls on Belichick. Belichick wants full control. That's what he wants. He wants to be the guy. And when you want to be the guy, that means you take a lot on the plate. And what this story tells me is that Belichick, who wanted full control, ends up losing a lot of people from the staff that he believed in and trusted, right? All of the staff that has left this team over the past six, seven, eight years. He lost a bunch of staff. He lost a number of people from the front office. And as Belichick has no plan for things on the field, like the tackle position that we discussed earlier, Belichick also failed to have a plan for the front office and the coaching staff. And he went to Matt Groh, who is Al Groh's son, part of the family. He went to Troy Brown, part of the family. He went to Adrian Clem, part of the family. The entire interview process, offensive coordinator, was all, all those guys were part of the family in some way or another because it's all that Belichick knows. He doesn't go outside of the system. He doesn't go outside of his circle of trust. He doesn't bring in a new sexy offensive coordinator that can bring in a new scheme. He doesn't bring somebody from the outside into the front office that will disagree with him so they can butt heads and battle for the best of the football team, which is what he preaches every single day. He wants full control, unrelenting. Meanwhile, his staff has fallen apart, and he doesn't trust anybody else to find the answers. His plate is full. And our stomachs should be sick. This story has to tell Robert Kraft. If he's thinking of keeping Bill Belichick, if you are Kraft and you read this story, how do you not walk away from this story saying to yourself, this organization needs a massive overhaul? From top to bottom. How do you read this story? And trust me, Kraft has to know some of this is going on. When the offensive line coach is screaming at the director of player personnel, unless Kraft is completely disconnected from his organization, he has to know some of, if not most of, what is in this story. How do you walk away from this story and say to yourself, we just need a couple of changes? We need just a couple of tweaks. I walk away from this saying, the ship has sunk. It is a mess. It is an absolute mess. It's chaotic. Nobody trusts each other. And you need to strip most of this down. 
By the way, zero mention of the defense having issues in this story, aside from Jack Jones, which I think is an isolated incident because, you know, Jack Jones has got a history. And I think that really shows you Belichick's love of that side of the football, his attention to detail on that side of the football, his personnel moves on that side of the football. And it tells you about the staff, Demarcus Covington, Gerard Mayo, Steve Belichick, Pellegrino. Those guys have done a really good job. And they've trusted themselves. They trust each other. And that side of the ball, without Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez and recently Jabril Peppers, they've still been able to play good football. And I think it speaks volumes that this story, like 95% of this story, is about personnel. It's about the offensive staff. It's about the quarterback position. The offensive issues. I'd also ask you this question. How can you honestly evaluate Bill O'Brien? Now, looking at it this year, I could tell you, I don't think he's been very good. There have been a number of play calls that left me scratching my head. But honestly, how can you evaluate the offensive coordinator when he wasn't allowed to hire his staff, when the offensive line was an absolute mess from the very beginning, when the wide receiver room had to depend on a sixth-round pick to hit, and thankfully Pop did to give this team somewhat hope at that position, when you don't have a running back who could be a receiving running back, how do you evaluate the offensive coordinator when he was given what he was given and not allowed to hire his own staff? How do you evaluate that guy? And you have Belichick over the top of him with the approach, the overall approach, the fourth down decision-making, the conservative play. How can you evaluate Bill O'Brien? I just don't know how you read this story and you do not make significant change. After the conversation we had yesterday, which you can check out on this channel, don't forget to give us that thumbs up. It takes a second of your time if you enjoy the content. Comment, subscribe as well. Spotify, Apple Pods, rate and review. How do you not make significant change within this organization after the conversation that we had yesterday and then this story? Some of you might say they don't need it. I, I I look at it and I wonder. Flying Elvis jumps in and says, Belichick is delusional. Cool, cool. <laughs> the Grizz 15 says, how can you evaluate Billy O? How can you evaluate Mac? Why is this being overlooked? Look, the Grizz, it's not being overlooked, man. I appreciate the, the mention of Mac Jones. It, I, I spoke about Mac Jones roughly 752 times the first two months of this season. I have more than pontificated about my thoughts on how they broke Mac Jones and all of that. Just don't feel like we need to relitigate all of it. I, I've spent so much time on it. The point is right now, he's broken. Whether you think he's broken because he stunk from the beginning or he's broken because they broke him. I believe in the latter. People, Some people agree in the former. Stephen Graves jumps in. Kraft may just be waiting for the end of the season and then clean house. Well, Mike Reese did report this morning on ESPN's Get Up that there is going to be a meeting on Monday. And apparently Reese said that Kraft, there's no decision that has been made yet. Whether this story helps him make that decision, I have no idea. No idea. Lots of reaction. Appreciate every single one of you guys. We went a little bit long, but this story in the Herald is critical to the process. Critical to the process. And 
when you when you look at how this thing fell apart, the fact that Belichick did not want to get rid of Patricia, the fact that Belichick acquiesced and allowed O'Brien in-house, then turned around and said you can't have your own staff to the offensive coordinator. Then you look at the personnel moves and the failure to have a plan for the tackle position, which they obviously weren't in love with, free agency or the draft, had no plan for that other than Riley Reef, who we all saw as not the answer. You look at the Adrian Clem hire, which was questioned. Was that the right guy to bring in? He's yelling at Matt Groh. Matt Groh, the right-hand man in the front office. He obviously is not loved within the building by some people. It's just overall a disaster. And, And the failure to truly support your young quarterback that you drafted in the first round in 2021 when that rookie quarterback was on his his rookie scale deal, still to me remains one of the most ridiculous circumstances with this football team. Because whether or not you believe in the quarterback, you still have to surround that quarterback. Every other team has done that. When a quarterback is on a rookie deal, you spend money, you invest in the offense. And Belichick did spend some money in the offense, but he swung and missed too many times. Nelson Aguilar, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jonu Smith, and you just look at that from outside the building. Then you look at what's happening reportedly inside the building. I just have no idea how you can read this and believe that this organization is in good hands right now. How do you read this? How do you look at the personnel moves? How do you look at the offense? How do you look at the decision-making on fourth? How do you look at all of that and say to yourself that you truly trust Bill Belichick to run this program for the next two, three years. How can you possibly look at this situation and say he should be in charge of free agency? He should be in charge of the draft. He should be in charge of the overall product on the field. And that's coming from somebody who appreciates everything that he's accomplished, because I do. But I'm looking at the last four or five years. I'm looking at this window post-Brady when they've collectively been under 500. There are so many holes in the boat right now. And if you don't see that, I don't know what to tell you. I do know what to tell you right now, though. Again, we've gone long today. Hopefully you've enjoyed this. I appreciate all the kind words. I truly, truly, honestly do. My guy, John, jumping in saying, great podcast again, Nick. I appreciate you, John. Give us that thumbs up. Throw the comment in. Don't forget to subscribe. We need more subscribers. Again, I'm not making much money on this thing. YouTube ads and all that stuff, it's it's not a lot of money. It's not a money-making venture. Doing all this on my own, I'm not asking for sympathy here. Asking for a like. (laughs) Because that helps the program. It helps the show. More likes, more eyeballs. So like, comment, subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Pods, don't forget to uh, rate and review. And leave a comment over there as well. I see some of you leaving comments over there too, which uh, I enjoy. All right. I appreciate every single one of you. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We're back tomorrow on a football Friday edition. We're not going to talk much about the Jets game. I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot more as far as Belichick and uh, what to expect on Sunday from his point of view and all of that. But until tomorrow, this has been the Nick Cattle Show.